All right, church, let's have a seat and get in God's word together. Uh, Matthew 21, 23 through 46 is our passage this morning, and uh, thankful to be able to open God's word with um, one another today. The title of the sermon is Worthy Authority, Worthy Authority. And as we get started, I I need to share something with you. Uh, Last night, an authority shift occurred in my home. Uh, After years of games played, Luke, my son, beat me at checkers. This is great. Just yelled, king me. That's awesome. Um, There's a new sheriff in town, and uh, I am officially retiring. Good job, Luke. Good job. Proud of you, buddy. People are clapping for you, man. Sheesh. I've been the champ for years. No one ever clapped for me. What's up with that? Come on. All right. Today, thanks, buddy. Thanks. All right. Today, um, we're talking about authority and uh, worthy authority, and that being Jesus. But uh, as we get going, I just want to be sensitive with this subject. Um, Authority is a sensitive subject today. And uh, we we know why. There there are a lot of people, including some in this room, who just do not have a good framework for healthy authority for a lot of difficult reasons. And um, many of us have struggled under hypocrisy and domineering leaders, and that has caused an aversion to any authority at all. And I understand that. I'm aware of that. One of the things that we have the advantage of doing here is um, not, just, not just preaching the Bible, but, but pastoring within things that we're aware one another face. And so I'm sensitive to those things and understand those. And I pray that today can be a day of a moment of healing for you where you recognize Jesus is a worthy authority in your life and to place yourself under him is a worthy effort um, and that he is worthy of your following. So I pray that that can occur today. Um, A big question that so many people have is who is a worthy authority? Who is a worthy authority? And someone who is worthy of following, someone who's trustworthy, someone who has our best interest in mind all the time, every day, every moment, someone like that. And is that person out there? And all of us know here today that that person is Jesus. And thankfully, we have a great option in him. But we have an option. He is a worthy authority and every other authority is not. And so we have to respond to that. And in our passage today, we're going to see a group of people who never come under the authority of Jesus Christ, even though it was offered to them so many times, four times in this passage by Jesus himself. So today I wanna give this big idea and then unpack it as we go, why Jesus is a worthy authority. So here's the big idea. Jesus is the authority on which we need to build our lives. Amen? Jesus is the authority on which we need to build our lives. And so there's a phrase in there that's, that's intentional, on which, meaning he is the cornerstone and we want to build our lives on him and on his strength. And from there, go in our lives, from him, go in our lives. So what I want to do today is look at um, what, it is, what about Jesus, what it is about Jesus that makes him worthy of being your and our authority? What makes him worthy of that? And then also to let's let a healthy category of authority, the authority of Jesus, be written in our minds so that we can heal as needed and build our lives on him, okay? So four, four things we're gonna do to unpack this. Jesus is the authority on which we need to build our lives. First one is Jesus is God. 
All right, great place to start if we're talking about Jesus's authority, right? Jesus is the worthy authority. Jesus is God, verse 23 through 25. So here's 23. It says, and when Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? And I think if we were to kind of read into this moment and the feeling that it likely was and the tone that he likely had, you'd put an exclamation point after that question, right? So what is, what is the answer, church, to this, to this question? By what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? What's the answer? The answer is God. He is God. God gave him, God the Father gave him this authority. And so why were the religious leaders not okay with his authority? Because Jesus would rearrange their org chart, and they knew it. Jesus would rearrange their org chart, and he, he was coming to them mercifully, humbly, recognizing that he's the leader, and they needed to place themselves under him. But what had happened is they'd promoted themselves above being God. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. They'd promoted themselves above being under God. And so in the past, what had happened is the Old Testament, God sets things up and then he gives these leaders to lead in his tabernacle, in his temple, and they were under God. They're following God's law. They're following the plays that God had, had given them and all the sacrificial system, all of those things. But over time, they fell in love with leadership of the temple, leadership of all of that worship, rather than being under the Lord himself who is the leader. So they'd promoted themselves above being under God. And they'd grown cold by wanting to be leaders without Jesus's lordship. So I want to ask some questions just as we get going in this passage. Do y'all know what is really, really dangerous? It's any leader without the Lord Jesus. It's really, really dangerous. So questions. Men, is Jesus your authority or is it you? And women, is Jesus your authority or is it you? And husbands, does your wife follow you as you follow Jesus? Meaning Jesus is your authority as Ephesians 5 says. And then dads, do, you, do your kids see you following Jesus as Lord or is Jesus on your sideline? Like as, we, as we read this passage, I don't want us to just think like, man, the, the chief priests and the elders, they missed it. Jesus was right there. I can't believe they did this. I want us to apply this. I want us to apply this to ourselves. Everyone in this room, we all have the option of letting Jesus be our authority or us be an authority or someone else be an authority or something be an authority. And the, the impact of this passage for us is that Jesus can be our worthy authority and everything in life will make so much more sense after we follow him. It is so healthy for us to follow the Lord because he's good and because he's honest and because he's loving. All right, so that's just verse 23. Let's go to 24 through 25. So here's the interaction. Back to it. Jesus answered them. I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John... From where did it come, from heaven or from man? All right, so 
Jesus is answering their question, how did you get this authority? Who gave it to you? Where does your authority come from? And he asks a question back to them. And this is a very common and reasonable question that they ask. They're basically bottom line asking, is Christianity from God or is it man-made? And that same question exists today. It's asked today all over the place, and it should be. That is a worthy, reasonable question. Is Christianity from God or is it man-made? Because if Jesus is God, following him is not, uh, following him is not a man-made thing. If Jesus is God, following him is not man-made. It makes the man. It makes the woman. So here, here's what happens, verses, verse 25b through 26. It says, And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So what happened in these verses? The chief priests and the elders, they get together and they're recognizing that the people loved John the Baptist. The people loved him. Why? Because, well, he's kind of an interesting fella for sure, like the way he dressed and what he did and all of these things, but they loved him because he gave them the message of repenting and believing in Jesus Christ or repenting and believing because Jesus was coming. And so, so many people's lives had changed and people are going down to the Jordan River and they're being baptized and signifying their life has been changed and they're turning toward the Lord again. And so lots of lives have been changed and they knew it would be a really unpopular thing if they said that Jesus or that John the Baptist was not from God. And then they themselves couldn't personally profess that, Jesus, that John the Baptist is from God because they'd then need to follow Jesus. So they were stuck, and instead of going the follow Jesus route, they went the agnostic route, and they just said, we don't know. They just said, we don't know. But they knew they were just unwilling to say it. So verse 27, so they answered Jesus, we do not know, and he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do those, these things. So they dodged the question, basically. And in this moment, that was lazy, it was dishonest, it was all because they, were, they had a fear of man, it was all because they had a worldly gain complex and they were losing their souls in the process and notice that Jesus didn't say to them, you can't handle the truth. He didn't say that to them. Instead, he said, you won't handle the truth, meaning like you're unwilling to handle the truth. And he's calling them on it. And they've, by all means, were feeling that. But here's the Son of God, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in front of them, offering them his leadership that was rightfully his in the first place. And they're rejecting it here. It was and it is clear that Jesus is God, but they were unwilling to concede. They were unwilling to concede. So Jesus is the authority on which we need to build our lives. Jesus is God. Next one is Jesus saves. All right, if Jesus is God, by all means, he's worthy of us building our lives on him and he saves. So by all means, let's build our lives on him, right? Here's the second paragraph of this passage. In all four of these paragraphs today, the, the conversation is between the chief priests and the elders and Jesus. That's why we're, we're kind of going through it as a unit today. So next, Jesus saves, 28 through 32. 
What he's going to do now, he just went question and answer with him. Now he's going to go parable and question and answer. So he's giving a parable illustrating that he desires to save all people, but that the chief priests and the elders are rejecting him, while unlikely people are receiving him. All right, so here's this parable, verses 28 through 32. Jesus says, what do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not, but afterward he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? And they said, the first. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For God came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him and even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds and believe him. All right, so as we've read that, I think it's pretty clear what's going on, but let's just make sure we understand, all right? Who does the first son represent? The son who eventually responded and got to work in his father's vineyard, who does that represent? It represents the tax collectors. It represents the prostitute, a.k.a. sinners who recognize their need and place their faith in Jesus for forgiveness. That's who that illustrates, all right? And and what I find interesting is at first, they didn't do it. And that just represents doubt. It represents a little bit of hesitation. It represents thoughtfulness. Is, Is Jesus worthy? And I love that Jesus has that pause in here. I think so many of us have that And and we're afraid when other people have it. Just think about the Lord with me. Think about the Lord with me and consider it and then follow him. And so, so many of these people had, that's the son, the first son in the parable. And then who does the second son represent? It's the son who is all talk but no walk, right? It's the chief priests and the elders. So who knows people who say the right thing? Like in this passage, it's, I go, sir, Right? It's respectful. This master said go, and so they said go. I go, sir, but then they don't do it. How, how many of us know people like that? Right? I mean, no one's raising their hand, but all of us do. Right? And, and humbly, we would all recognize that's, that's us pretty regularly, right? Uh, we say things, and we say even the right thing, but we don't necessarily follow through with it, and Jesus is pointing out that, that that's these chief priests and elders here, right? There are, there are many people in our world today. There's many people in our city. There's many people in, in, our, in our walks in life that are hearers of God's word, but not doers, and we say, like, they're all talky, no walky, right? Um, they, they're fluent in Christianese, but not in Christ, and uh, just straight up, like being flaky about Jesus is not a good idea. Agree? Being flaky about Jesus is not a good idea. Um, So if you haven't changed your mind about Jesus and really started following him and recognizing he's giving you this option and he's telling us what to do, he's telling us to follow him, he's telling us that he's a worthy authority. If you haven't done that yet and changed your mind about him and started really following him, make today the day. Follow him. Maybe you're here and you're not saved and today could be the day of your salvation. Placing your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. He comes to save all. 
I love that about this passage. He comes to save all. It's everyone. It's the, like the religious elite and people who would be on the total other end of the spectrum. He's coming to save all. And he's even pointing it out. They're, they're being saved, but you're not. I want you to be saved also. I'm here for this. You see his passion in this passage to save, to save all. And so if that's you and you're not yet saved, I pray you'd place your faith in, for, in, in the, the offer of Jesus to be forgiven. Maybe you're here today and you're just kind of far from the Lord or you're slumbering in your faith or you're kind of disinterested in the Lord, you're playing like too cool for school. Um, just, just walk with the Lord. Let him be your authority. I think there's a hard-heartedness that's represented in this passage that Jesus is calling out, but his mercy is saying like, come and follow me and let me be your authority. Let me, let me lead you. And Jesus is so patient to help us through those things. And I pray that you would soften your heart to the Lord today. He came to save everyone, all right? He came to save everyone. So Jesus is the authority on which we need to build our lives. We see Jesus is God and Jesus saves. Here's the third one, Jesus came. From verses 33 through 41, Jesus came. All right, so he's gonna do another parable. He's done question answer. That was first paragraph. Now he did parable one, now parable two. And this is called the parable of the tenants. The parable of the tenants. And let's see if you can figure out who is who. And remember that the context is Jesus extending his offer of salvation to all people. And he wants these chief priests and these elders and all of us to receive it. So here's 33 through 41. I'll read, I'll read the whole thing. So it says, here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and he put a fence around it and he dug a wine press in it and he built a tower and leased it to the tenants and he went into another country. When the season for fruit grew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And so the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? So he tells the parable, he asks this question, what will the owner of the vineyard do when he comes to those tenants? And they said to him, meaning the chief priests and the elders, they said, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. So Jesus has given them this parable where they are out of their minds that these tenants are doing such a terrible job being the tenants. And they're not recognizing that in the parable, they are the tenants. They're that hard-hearted. They're, they're not seeing it at all, but Jesus is gonna be patient with them. All right, so, so let's work through the people, the characters in this parable. Who is the master? Who's the master that started the vineyard? All right, it's, it's God the Father, right? The master is God the Father. And what do we see that God the Father desires? We see in this passage that God the Father desires to draw near to his creation, so he calls a people to himself. That reminds us of the entire Old Testament. 
right? Where do we see that in the scriptures? We see that in God setting up the tabernacle, God setting up the temple, God sending Jesus to pay our way to be with God the Father forever in the kingdom of God, right? God desires to dwell with our people and, and he, he, sends, he sends a system onto this earth so that we can worship him, then he sends his son to this earth so that we can worship him and go back eventually to the Father in heaven, right? Then the question is, who are the tenants, The tenants are the chief priests and the elders who oversaw the worship in the tabernacle and the temple. And then who are those the master sent to gather fruit? The answer to that is the prophets and the chief priests and the elders. And then who is the son sent by the master who would be killed by the tenants? And the answer to that is Jesus. The very person who's giving this parable, the very person who's asking these questions. And y'all, it would happen in three days from this passage. The very people that he's trying to reach are about to crucify him. Jesus is really spelling out what the chief priests and the elders weren't getting. He's basically saying to them, you are living this parable and the master ain't you, right? And he's spelling that out to them and they're thinking that they're the master and they're thinking that they're not the tenants, and we see really clearly that they had, they had promoted themselves above God. And, and Jesus is calling that out, and they're still not seeing it. So I want us to capture, we talk about the mercy of God a lot and his, his relentless love for us. I just want you to see that in this passage and feel that. In the midst of all of this is the assertion of the relentlessness of Jesus to save them. Do you all see that? Like he's giving question and answer, then he's giving him parable one, now parable two. He loves everyone. He wants everyone to come to faith in him. No matter how hard-headed or hard-hearted you are or soft-hearted, he wants you to come to faith. No matter your background, no matter your present, he wants you to come to faith. And he's relentless about it and he's interacting with people and he's knocking on your door and he wants you to open it to him. God sets things up so that we can know him. He sent prophets, he sent Jesus. God really loves us, he really loves us. He always has, he always will. And I pray that you're feeling this in this passage. So, so we see that Jesus' authority is not domineering in this passage at all. He's not like iron fisting them at all. He's interacting with them. He's trying to win them to himself. He's trying to help them understand who he is so that they can make a decision and place their faith in him as their authority. So rather than being domineering, which is our authority aversion, he's really the complete opposite. He's shepherding, he's sacrificial because he comes to give his life, and he's redeeming because he comes to give us life. That's a worthy authority. That's our, that's our Lord. So we've seen Jesus is worthy of our following, He's our worthy authority because he's God, because he saves, because he came. And then here's the big application. These last few verses together, and it's make Jesus your cornerstone. Make Jesus your cornerstone. All right, so we've seen he's God, we've seen he saves, we've seen he came. And so what do we do with all of that? So it's not just in our heads and it's not just like theological smarts, right? But what do we do with that? The answer with what we do to that is make Jesus your cornerstone. So here's 42 through 46. 
Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? So now he's just pleading with them. Have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone, and I think right then, y'all, I think Jesus is pointing to himself. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this, heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And we're like, they're getting it a little bit. Like the hard heart is, is, is softening and the hard head is, is softening and, and the light is starting to shine. But look at verse 46. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. They wanted to retain their positions. They didn't like that a new sheriff was in town. They were unwilling to place themselves under his rightful authority. And in three days time, they would arrest him and crucify him all of this offered to them. All right, so, so Jesus quoted verse 42. He quoted Psalm 118, 23, 22 and 23. One of the most popular passages in the scripture, one of the most important in the scripture as well. And those verses are about Jesus being the cornerstone and the chief priests and elders and all of those who are rejecting him as their foundation. So they're rejecting the cornerstone, the the very person on whom and by whom everything was built. They're rejecting the very cornerstone of the building in which they are supposed to be working, in which they are supposed to be tenants. And if you don't know what a cornerstone is, a cornerstone is is the first block laid for a new build. Even even today in in our modern world, an an architect, a developer, a contractor, they're they're gonna have a point that sets the entire building, the entire grade, vertical, horizontal, everything. And it's similar to the cornerstones of of back in the day. And it sets the foundation and everything. And and we need not just a cornerstone, y'all, but we need the cornerstone. We need the cornerstone because otherwise all the lines coming off of whatever is your cornerstone will make things wonky and disorienting and crumbling. So we must not reject what is marvelous, that God the Father sent God the Son and that all of the Old Testament is pointing right to Jesus Christ. And we're seeing him point to himself in this passage to a bunch of people who are hard-hearted about him. We see his grace, his relentless mercy. So we also see something really accountable in this passage occur as well. Because the chief priests and the elders rejected Jesus, Jesus did some firing and he did some hiring. The builders who rejected Jesus, Jesus fired. And... He welcomed those who are eager to build his kingdom based on him, the cornerstone, and then bear fruit within the vineyard that is God's kingdom. So he welcomes in those who place their faith in him and those who will do his will in this world. And that's us. That's us. So he closes this interaction in teaching with two choices. And they're... They're both in verse 44. The first choice is be broken into pieces by the cornerstone now. 
All right, so Jesus is the cornerstone. What does that mean? Be broken into pieces by the cornerstone now. It means repenting and believing in that transformation. It means give your life to him, let him break you up and rebuild you. That's repentance and belief. Let him do that now. And that is, that is repentance and belief transformation. It's what hundreds and thousands had done when John the Baptist was announcing that Jesus is coming. It's what so many of us have done. We've just said, Jesus, change my life. I wanna repent of my sin. I wanna repent of everything that's broken and wrong and turn to you. Would you re- rebuild my life? Would you sanctify me, Lord? That is falling on to him and letting him rebuild us, letting him break us and rebuild us. And then the second option it says, when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And that's, that's future judgment. So everyone's gonna meet the cornerstone. And we can come to him now, we can be broken, and we can enjoy repentance and belief transformation, or one day the cornerstone is going to crush people who don't give their lives to him. Really clear accountability here in this passage. And so I pray we respond. I pray we respond. We will all meet the cornerstone. So we will either build our lives on him as our authority now, or we will be crushed by him as our authority later. So, so after all of this, after, after these four paragraphs, after these four different angles of, of, of reaching and loving these chief priests and elders and giving them the option, after all of this, I wanna ask you, who is your authority? Who is your authority? And is his name Jesus? Who is your authority and is his name Jesus? And then, not just having like, yes, sir, sort of authority answer to the question, like, yeah, he's my authority, but like, why is he worthy of being your authority? And have that and recognize it's because he's God and it's because, he's, because he came, it's because he loves us, it's because he saves by his authority. Jesus saves by his authority. Jesus can be your cornerstone on which you place your faith and build your life. And I... I wanna give just a few synonyms of cornerstone that exist in God's word and uh, things that, with which we're familiar just to kind of get us toward ascription here and then, and then I'll pray. Um, so we have cornerstone. Jesus is the rock of ages. Jesus is our firm foundation. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Like he doesn't budge, he doesn't move, and that's good. He's our cornerstone. And what a joy to build our lives on him and not build our lives on shifting sand, right? So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the honesty of this passage and we thank you for your relentlessness in this passage to bring yourself, bring yourself to the lives of people who so desperately need you, ourselves included, and everyone on this planet. And Jesus, we thank you for the way that you care. We thank you for the way that you love. And we thank you for the way that you, when question and answer doesn't work, you give parables. When that parable doesn't work, you give another parable. When that doesn't work, you give a verse and really clear instruction. And Lord, four for four, our hearts break that the chief priests and the elders didn't respond. So God, I pray, I praise you that the vast majority of people in this room have responded to you and you're the cornerstone and that's awesome and we build our lives on you and we place our faith on you and all of our angles and lines come from you and who you are and that is wonderful and it's so rebuilding. We thank you for new life. 
So God, help us to live under your authority and to love it. God, would you be glorified by the way that we follow you and by the way that we recognize your authority is worthy. You are God. You save. You came. And you're our cornerstone. So God, we praise you for that. And Lord, I ask anybody here that doesn't have their faith in you, I pray they would place it in you right now for the forgiveness of their sins. God, anyone here today who is far from you, who is an authority unto themselves, they would place themselves under you and get healthy in that regard. God, all of us would understand you are a worthy authority and that we love you so much. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by the power of your spirit.